You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's go! Hello, this is Ace Comicals, episode number 56, and uh, tonight it is just the two of us. It is me and uh, my co-host Rahul. Evening, Greg. So, less comics than usual is the first thing I've noticed when I look at the uh, the list. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit sparse this week, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah, but I mean, what we are going to talk about is very good, I have to say. Um, mm. So, there is that. So, it's it's quality over quantity this time. Um, and uh, we are a man down, but <laughs> that's, that's rude in Leon's absence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not how I meant it, and you know it. Of course, of course, missing him dearly. He doesn't seem to yeah. be. I think he had a bit of a headache, right? And he sounded yeah. rough. So yeah, I hope he gets. I hope he feels better by the time he listens to this, and it doesn't reignite his migraine. <laughs> it might. <laughs> Good. Hopefully not. Migraines are the devil's work. God, it's awful. Like being on public transport and having a headache is the worst. Like when I I traveled to Italy last weekend and (laughs) like my girlfriend said um, she didn't want to eat anything because it was quite an early flight. Uh, We didn't have any breakfast before we left and I picked up something from the airport and she didn't have anything. because She's like, I don't want anything because I'll feel ill on the airplane. I was like, I've got a hearty, hearty constitution. I'm, you know, I, nothing ever affects me. I'm going to get a sausage roll, whatever. So I had a sausage thing from Pret-a-Manger and then I felt really, really sick on the plane, just like holding it in for two hours and like rocking back and forth in my chair. And it was the worst. It's the worst. Being ill when you're traveling is the worst. So I do not blame Leon for, well, for not being here right now. I, I went to Nottingham yesterday and spent 45 minutes on a coach or something like that and had to be sick on the coach. Oh, no. What? In the, in like the actually toilets. sick? In the coach toilets, yeah. Oh, you were that guy. You you were the guy who made the toilet unbearable. No, I I, I was the guy that sicked directly into the toilet, pressed pressed the flush, and made sure that everything was fine before he left. Imagine if it was like <laughs> like in like in Mario Kart, and like you flush the toilet, and it comes out the back of the coach, and like oh. all these cars behind you are just slipping on it. No, no. Is that not just... how it works? I guess that's is that is that true for aeroplanes, or am I just? I think there's a tank. Oh, um, I think it's a. I think it's a. Um, uh, I'm not sure if that's like a fallacy or not that aeroplanes just like drop waste. <laughs> I'm sure it is because it, it there's, there's no way. <clears throat> but I think they have like, a, I think it gets stored in some kind of like uh, onboard septic tank or whatever and then they empty that at certain points. Yeah, I'm not I'm not stupid enough to think that it didn't work that way but it would be hilarious if it did, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I've, heard, I've heard like people tell <clears throat> weird stories about stuff like that but I'm pretty sure none of them are true. Um, so when when was the last time you felt ill on the coach? Because I can't remember being an adult and feeling that bad on the coach. I, and I've never yeah. been on a coach where the toilet was available anyway. So like you were lucky yeah. that you had access to it. I know. It's not just it's not just coaches or um, it, it's like car journeys, like any kind mm. of like driving. I don't know. I'm weird with being a passenger in a car. Like I always start to feel a bit churny. No, I think that's that's I can't, fairly common. I can't yeah. look at things. I can't look out of the window. Like even like I can't I can't read in the car. I can't play video games as a passenger in a car. I can't do any of that. I can only look directly ahead through the windscreen. Can Otherwise, you listen to music? Yeah, I can do that. 
but okay. like anything else i'll start to feel it <clears throat> if i try to look out of the wind the uh, side windows for too long i start to get i start to get nauseous or queasy and things like that so I, i'm not a very good i'm not a very good travel person at all i sh- I, sh- I have to i i should probably take travel sickness pills but before i travel but there you go i'm, I'm all right on planes it's just specifically driving that does it to you. Take some, like going into Indian mum mode, but like take some fresh ginger with you and like nibble on that while you're in the car. Seems yeah. to do the trick. Yeah, settles his stomach. I'll take that advice on board. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about vomiting. Let's move on to the comics, shall we? Yes. What were you doing in Nottingham? Yes. Oh, what was I doing in Nottingham? I was. Yeah, uh, yeah. We just spent the day there. We checked out some Nottingham comic shops. Uh, I checked out their Forbidden Planet, which isn't as good as Leicester's Forbidden Planet. <laughs> it's not okay yeah shade uh <laughs> it's not man it's not um it's just it, it just feels like you go in there and it just, and maybe it because it was a saturday and because it was busy i don't know but it just, it just didn't feel like great place and the comics are all sort of like shoved away in the corner and the pop vinyls are on full view the minute you walk <laughs> in and the sh- the shelving's quite narrow i mean it's not too narrow but it's narrow enough that when you walk between two shelves of pop vinyls, you feel like you are being watched but by like... weird little plastic things. <laughs> I was going to say, at least you're a giant in that scenario. Yeah. I, I, I find that Forbidden Planets are a bit disappointing as comic book shops in general. Like, are there any, or did you spot any, um, like, independent places in Nottingham? While there, is, there is an independent comic shop called Page 45 that was okay. That was pretty cool. I went in there. Um, it's only a small place. Bought some Batman books in there, which was pretty good. Okay. Nice. Um, I bought the first three um, TPBs of the Tom current Tom King Batman run, the Rebirth DC stuff. Um, I am Bane. I am Gotham, and uh, I am Gotham. I am Suicide, and I am Bane in that order. And that's the names of the the arcs. Um, cool. okay. Within that, there's two issues missing, which is really irritating because those two issues get collected into a separate story, um, which I believe is called Night of the Monster Men, which collects is like a um, it collects uh, issues of Batman and issues of uh, Nightwing, and um, it's uh, it, it's got a ripped doctor strange in it <laughs> so <laughs> i i mean i want that one as well i will buy that one as well eventually to sort of like complete the set but yeah hmm. um i picked up the three books and i mean as far as comic shops go in nottingham i mean they, they both have their strengths and weaknesses both of them but i mean like nottingham's forbidden planet wasn't very good i wasn't i wasn't that enamored with it when i went in it wasn't great hmm. forbidden planet leicester is like a thousand times better than forbidden planet nottingham and shout out to forbidden planet leicester for being a really good comic shop actually because it is like, yeah I'm not gonna... i've like seen it seen the way it's evolved over a few decades now and like i like that they've always kept their comics as a separate thing like the downstairs has all the like the paraphernalia and the tat and the toys and things but upstairs it is pretty comics focused and the guys mm. behind the counter do know what they're talking about oh yeah the, the new manager there at the moment he's really good um he he does a, a absolutely amazing job. He's doing an amazing job. He's getting he's getting it more sort of like on focus with what he orders in and things because I have a lot of conversations with him and um, like 
he's he does a great job with the comics and they always do a great job for my standing order like if i want something they they can make sure i get it and hats off to them for being able to do that because i mean you know i i i like my little independent comic shops indie comic shops are really cool but i you know in leicester i i've only got a forbidden planet but it's a very good forbidden planet and it's the best forbidden planet i've ever been into um i like it better than the london one much better I think I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Forbidden Planet Leicester is good. It's the only comic shop in Leicester, but it is a good comic shop and I like it. And I, I went into uh, these other comic shops in Nottingham and I missed Forbidden Planet Leicester. I was <laughs> like, oh, you know, I, I was actually, I've been spoiled is what's happened. But yeah. Um, so, but other than that, I mean, they both have their strengths and weaknesses and page 45 is a good little independent comic shop and they have a lot of indie stuff in there as well. Like when you walk in, actually the stuff they've got on full view at the front of the shop is the indie stuff. Yeah, I always appreciate that. Yeah. So they, like you have to go right to the back of the store to get all the mainstream like uh, DC, Marvel, big, big two kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The front is all image, um, like all the indie kind of titles like Boom and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, it was just, just a day out in Nottingham, which was quite nice. Um, other than that, over the past couple of weeks, uh, I've done a lot of role-playing. So it's a lot of, a lot more D&D. Hmm. Um, I got some new dice and I got to try those out. Um, I DM'd uh, another adventure to its end. So like, I started doing this... Um, Spectacoshes thing before Christmas. Uh, Spectacoshes being it's basically Ghostbusters but D and D. And I was <laughs> I yeah. I'm running yeah I'm running Ghostbusters in the D and D world and uh, my role playing group are who are the best role playing group who always do really cool things. Um, and they're they're really they're really cool to play with and they're always reliable and there's never that you know there's never any huge massive arguments there's no drama etc you know you can you can rely on these guys they're a great role playing group and they're a good bunch of friends as well so uh, with those guys um, <clears throat> I'm DMing for them doing Ghostbusters type thing and uh, I've got they've all got their own characters and whatever else and uh, I'm doing it like in an episodic way. Um, so mm. I write something that should only take one night to complete, but this one took two. Um, and it was um, based on one of my favourite episodes of The Real Ghostbusters, is the way I did it. I kind of like took inspiration from that and warped it a little bit and mixed it in with my own ideas and made my own adventure out of it. It's based okay. on an episode called The Thing in Mrs. Faversham's Attic, and my version was called Bless This House. Uh, and it was uh, it, it was pretty cool. We DM'd it to the end, and we got a resolution without them having to actually kill the boss. They managed to talk the boss round, <laughs> which was kind of cool. Nice. I quite like that. Um, yeah, there's been some board gaming, um, a game called Takanoko that I've played, mm. which was really cool. It's this cute game about pandas and bamboo, which is it's really nice to play. It's really fun. It's really easy to pick up, uh, and I recommend yeah. that. That was cool. I love the theme on that on Takenoko. I like just I like how colourful the the pieces are. I like the just the the general style of it all. It's very yeah. very nice. Uh, very simple mechanics as well. It is good it one is. to play with. Good one to play with like newbies to board games. I think. Last but not least, um, with the uh, the D and D back to D and D again. Uh, in another campaign we're doing, um, called Plain Sailing, I have created a character 
who is a wrestler. Um, so this is where we've taken D&D rules and applied modern, like today's technology and everything to it, but we're still in the D&D world. Um, so he's a, he's a, like a cross class barbarian and monk. He's got like, he's like multi-class. He's got like features from both classes and he, um, he's a, a, a wrestler. That's like his whole thing. Um, and we, um, we got like a, one of our listeners actually, um, one of our listeners, Owen, their name is, knows our DM. And Owen has used Creator Wrestler in WWE 2K19 on the PS4 to create a version of my character. And they have sent me pictures of this and they are going to make an intro video for him that I can use when I'm uh, playing D&D, which will be kind of cool. <laughs> That's an amazing idea. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So shout out to Owen for that because that was cool. Um I mean, that's it. That, that's everything. <laughs> I wanted to get it all out before we talk your, about more comics. That's your two weeks done, right? That's my two weeks, yeah. Okay, sounds like a good two weeks. Yeah. Um, there's a, a thing that I came across today, actually, that I wanted to just mention as well. That I think I, I, I think I might have sent this to you, but I, I don't know if, you, if you've looked at it, about how um, Spider-Man has an alternate... Um, there's an alternate version of Spider-Man that was printed in Mexico only for so yeah. many issues where Gwen Stacy didn't die. <laughs> yeah, I saw that floating around Twitter today. I didn't really understand yeah. it. So if you have... I didn't really get what what the what, what it was. So up it to sounded the point, like people were really up in arms about it. Yeah, sorry, it's, go ahead. It's, well, it's, like, it's, it's just a, a really interesting thing. It's kind of like the Batmanga phenomenon. When I talked about mm. Batmanga... Um, where Batman had its own uniquely Japanese thing going on. Um, this was... Spider-Man was published in Mexico as it was, up to the point where Gwen Stacy died in the original comics. Like, mm. And then, because... In, um, I think the story goes, because they didn't think Spider-Man would sell in Mexico anymore with Gwen Stacy dead, mm. they kept her alive, and instead of having... Instead of like publishing, uh, like translating and publishing the um, the US comics where Gwen Stacy is dead, they created their whole their their own storyline and carried on from that point. So the point it diverges. Oh, okay. And in so Mexico, it... Gwen Stacy was still alive, and in the US, she died. So it was like a, a branch off at that one point where Mexico yeah. had its own storyline. Yeah, for, for, for a while. Yeah, it, it ended after yeah. a while and they went back to publishing like translations of the US Spidey comics. But for a while, Mexico had its own thing. That's pretty amazing. I remember yeah. the, the tweet that I saw it from uh, or originating from was somebody whose name I forget and I apologize now. But um, they were asking what uh, what run of comics that hasn't yet been collected would you like to see collected? And that mm. was somebody's response was that run of yeah. the like the non-dead Gwen Stacy Mexico Spider-Man comics is <laughs> yeah it's a, that's a cool pick I would I'd never have heard about it if it yeah. wasn't for that and then from there there's been um, some chatter further in that thread from um, people doing their masters in comics and things like that that want to get involved in actually creating this thing like they want to put research notes in it and they want to do like this whole thing where they they want to publish those issues collected oh amazing so they there's uh, hopefully 
it isn't just idle talk and it comes to something and people actually do it because that mm. would be really awesome to have like the same way they did with Batmanga because that got that got a kind of a a translate because I've got translations of it but I think what I've got is just pure comics whereas you can buy a, a like a hardback of um notes and things for Batmanga where it's got like um kind of like the phenomenon the bat it, ex- it explains the Batmanga phenomenon it's like how Japan became obsessed with Batman via the Adam West Batman show and so forth. Which is, it'd be a really cool thing to have, but I've not got around to buying that yet. But yeah, that exists. And I'd like something similar for this Spider-Man thing. And I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to hear like the original, if, if, if we can still get, you know, these people to talk, I'd love to hear the original reasoning behind why they thought Gwen Stacy's death wouldn't sell in Mexico. Hmm. like I, that's that's a really odd choice to make and it sounds very specific like a very specific thing i don't yeah i want to hear the <clears throat> history behind it. i want to know what like the cultural zeitgeist behind that decision was that's what that's 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 what i'm trying to get at yeah you've worded yeah, it better c- than me but well, yeah because of the fact that it was so like <clears throat> it's notorious now historically how like how how flippantly you can like fridge a character back in those days yeah. and american publishers were like um, the american audiences were fine with it or you know, fine with it relative to Mexico, it seems at least. Mm. So yeah, I want I want to see what the the difference in mindset is, and yeah. if somebody can explain that. Because it's like this iconic Spider-Man moment, and he blames himself for it. But yeah, um, that that was the whole like like it's it's such an iconic moment, and for that to be just like in one little part of the in one part of the world, that didn't happen for a long <laughs> time, and it's just like it's crazy. But yeah. Um, so I guess we can actually start talking about comics now. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, we've already started talking about comics, but now we can get into our comics that we wanted to review. So I'm going to kick this off with the released this week, actually, uh, the week we're recording this podcast. Last week when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Marvel's Annotated Number 1, which is a... Mm. Annotated version, as in it, it's got like uh, notes um, explaining Easter eggs and such that you will find throughout the pages of the comic. Um, it, there's like uh, it, it's got like um, scripts included with it and things. It's an, like a, an annotated version of a story that had been published by Marvel 25 years ago. So I'd never read this previously. I had never read the. Um, the original version of Marvel's. So I'll give you the blurb from the Marvel website. Celebrating the 25th anniversary of the series that changed the way we look at superheroes, the landmark Marvel's is back in the year 1939. Young photojournalist Phil Sheldon attends this the sensational unveiling of the fiery android Human Torch. Little knowing he is witnessing the dawn of the age of Marvel's. Prepare to relive Marvel's golden age from a whole new point a few as Phil covers the superhuman sightings of the 1930s and 40s. So these this collects issues, I should say, this collects issues 0 and 1 of the original Marvel's story in the first Marvel's annotated book. And um, it's Marvel Golden Age and it's characters that would have been published back when Marvel was still timely comics. And it's got like Captain America, Namor, the Human Torch... The original Human Torch, not Johnny Storm, etc. Um, 
and uh, it, it, from the terror caused by the Human Torch's epic clash with the Submariner to the patriotism stirred by the debut of Captain America and more. Packed with extras and completely remastered, you won't want to miss the unique look back at Marvel's phenomenon collecting Marvel's Zero and One. So that is Marvel's issue one. This is the one we're looking at today. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this kind of like looking at it in a, a, a from from the outside in a kind of i don't know can i say meta in a meta way yeah I don't know. absolutely since it's like a retrospective it's a, piece like it's a history lesson basically of marvel uh, of the history of, of superheroes at marvel hmm. um and it kind of it will take you through that step by step but it's told as a story through the eyes of a photo photographer a news photographer almost well fairly similar to the way that ed pisker has done um with uh X-Men, X-Men Grand, Designs. Grand Designs yes uh where he's telling the story of the X-Men through the eyes of the watcher um and it it's it kind of similar to that but not because we're not really um exclusive we we're, we're getting the life of this photojournalist guy as well this uh this this work this uh, news photographer interspersed with it so it's kind of like his story um and he is and and through his eyes we are seeing the rise of superheroes and whatever else and it's kind of all told from his perspective and Mm. about how um we're seeing these amazing these amazing beings uh attacking destroying uh this attacking each fighting each other and whatever laying waste to parts of the city through that and how he copes with that as well as how he documents you know superheroes and where it all started and how it all began and everything else hmm. um and yeah it's it's the it, it with the original scripts and annotations and explanations of the easter eggs and such this is probably the best way to read it i think because the original version um for someone just diving straight in might not work as well because you might need the backup notes if you don't know too much about Marvel history, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, so let me dive in here. Yeah, you, I... you start before I tie myself in a knot. Well, because no, <laughs> the thing is, I am that person who had never heard of this comic um, yeah. and basically dived in without checking the annotated notes at the back first. So the question I wanted to ask of you is, the first like two-thirds of this pretty hefty, like oversized book are... Is that the comic as it was originally printed back, you know, 25 years ago? Yes. The the, the collection of issue zero and issue one. That yeah. is issue zero and issue one as they would have originally been. Yes. Okay. Because I actually didn't get time to finish the entire book, but then because I knew I wasn't going to have enough time to read the whole thing, I skipped to the annotations. And yeah, it's it's really cool how they give, not just like, sometimes when you get an annotated thing or like you watch a... Um, you know, director's commentary of a of a DVD, and you kind of get like fluff. You know, you know, people are telling stories that happened on set or like things that happen anecdotally around the creation of this thing. But there's so much detail in, you know, w- what's being referenced and the history behind it and the context and like who the who the players were during the creation of this book. I'm I'm really taken with how 
how much love has gone into the annotation of it. It's not just a cash grab. It's not just a simple, like, let's get some people in the room who were kind of there at the time. They've really gone into detail about, like, their influences and, and you know, references and stuff. And I I'm, I really like that. Um, and to go back to what you were saying about how we're, uh, it feels very similar to um, Ed Pisker's X-Men Grand Designs, I felt the same way, but, like... Y- I think you were, what you were trying to get at is they have different goals because mm. X-Men Grand Designs is trying to like codify or like um, collate, what is it, 50, almost, is it 30, 50? What, what did we talk about last last week? We said, how many years of Marvel have there been so far? 80, right? 80, yes. Yeah, so it's trying to collect 80 years of X-Men history into one unified, current, up-to-date, like, cohesive storyline and obviously this isn't really trying to do the same thing because it's um, not trying to don't no, know if x-men's 80 okay i mean yeah. i'm 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 the pleb who doesn't know the history of marvel but like however because yeah. basically ed pisker is trying to to make this unified history and make it into one cohesive story um for current day standards so everything lines up neatly in in order um, I don't think Marvel Marvels is quite going for the same thing, but because I think it it was written so long ago, but it does have the same um, endpoint in some ways because it does unify the idea of the origins of these these heroes in the like w- what year is it set in? Um, it starts c- in nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, because it has an early yeah. like. 20s 30s 40s vibe to it so 1939 okay i think it's 39 i think it's 39 onwards okay and the fact that it because like how grand designs has the old art style this feels like it's the the art style of this book is as though not from the 30s but like the everybody dresses like they're from the 30s and you know it has the setting is in the 30s um it's not trying to modernize the stories from back then and I really like that. I like that it's it's set in this same history and it's trying to bring out the timeline to, to match with it. And yeah, I just think it's really cool. Um, so yeah, do you want to dive into into your piece? Yeah, sorry. Um, I was just... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was um, trying to work out how old X-Men was because uh, you raised a question there when you said, I think X-Men, <laughs> first issue of X-Men, in Canny X-Men number one was 1963. Okay. So I think X-Men is 55, uh, 56 years old, is it? Oh, wow. Okay. Because uh, 63, 73, 83. Is it 56? My math isn't that good. God, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an engineer. I learned how to use calculators, not mental maths. Um, <laughs> but but the, the point being is that, like, yeah, uh, without repeating myself too much, Grand Design's unifying everything into this one... Uh, one piece yeah. which has yeah. the stylistic um, aesthetic yeah. of a particular time, yeah. whereas this is taking the stories and setting it in a particular time. Yeah. And even though they're like the kind of different things, it kind of yeah. you get the same vibe from it. And well, what this... I did, the yeah. thing that I really liked about yeah. um, Marvels is that you do get a different context for mm. the Namor stuff, which was yeah. fairly new to me, learning about it in X Men Grand Designs. Because, you know, the, the the flooding of New York and then seeing it from this point of view, I feel like they're really good bedfellows, these two comics. So I they would are. recommend reading yeah. Marvels and Grand Designs back to back. Yes, indeed. And um, the, uh, yeah, this is like kind of like through the eyes. This is going to follow this, this, the career of this, um, this, this uh, news photographer. 
and um, it's going to run up to from 1939 to 1974. Oh, is wow. how okay. far Marvel goes. Hmm. So that's that's the sort of like that chunk of Marvel history it will cover. Um, and I, I actually really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being able to see it through, through this, this human set of eyes and to be, you know, the way, the way that the public might have reacted, like to see the way the public might have reacted to seeing these things, these, 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 superheroes for the first time the way they might react to you know the the fear that you might get when you've got two kind of like epically powerful beings clashing above the city and Mm. causing unknown havoc and god knows what else you know um and I just, I just really enjoyed it as, as a kind of like a, a history lesson and, you know, learning about it, going through and, you know, getting, getting all the human torch stuff at the beginning, uh, with the original human torch and everything else and how all that worked. And like in this 1930s framing and this 1940s framing, like with, with the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the second world war on and everything else. And it all feels quite, quite nice and quite in place and quite quite accurate to what it's trying to be um and yeah as you were saying with grand designs these two work quite well side by side as like a a marvel history lesson um and it's uh yeah it i just enjoy the 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 newsman as a framing device i think that's a good way to do it like almost like when we read the comic we're looking through scrapbooks of his reports mm. with him kind of thing and he's just like re- like reliving it all and giving it to us kind of thing like oh you know this is when i covered this and this is when this happened in the city and i was there with my camera kind of thing you know that kind of stuff which I quite yeah like. it's almost like his his memoirs yeah with yeah. you know with the snapshots of what's actually happening laid, yeah. laid behind it yeah exactly um now, I wanted to mention the artwork in this because I, I really, really like it. I like Alex Ross's artwork and I know Alex Ross from DC's Kingdom Come as well. So he did, he worked on a DC story called Kingdom Come um, and he's got like this really cool kind of like paint. He paints, it's this really, really cool, really beautiful paintings. Um, and the reason I think that works particularly well for these first two issues is because it looks like pulpy magazine covers. So, you know, like yeah. old pulp magazines that would have been published in the 30s and 40s and things. Hmm. Um, like Tales of Adventure type thing. Um, I don't know if that's an actual title of a pulp magazine, but, you <laughs> <Probably>. know, <laughs> like it, you'd have like some some painting of some dude like standing on the wings of a biplane with a pistol held to the pilot's head or something like that. And it'd all be like great action and hmm. these these pulp stories. But yeah, it's that got that kind of feel about it. And I, I really like that. That works for me in a unique way. And everything looks really grand as well, the way he paints it. Mm. And it does have that, that foggy New York sort of like yeah. grimy um, gumshoe detective sort of aesthetic to it. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And um, Kurt Busiek's writing as well. Like the combination of the two is great. I, actually, I'll just give you the credits while we're talking about the people that worked on this. So... 
for Marvel's annotated, um, Marvel Zero is Alex Ross and Steve Darnell, with Alex Ross as artist and colorist. Um, Richard Starkings and Comicraft were the letterers, and Marcus McLaurin was the editor. Marvel's number one was Kurt Busiek, with uh, writer, with Alex Ross as artist and colorist. Um, Richard Starkings and John Gushell, letterers, uh, Spencer Lamb, assistant editor, and Marcus McLaurin, editor. Um, yeah, originally published um, January, uh, January 1994, Marvel's number one. Marvel Zero was published in August 94, so Marvel Zero came after the uh, Marvel's one. Um, okay. But yeah, um, all of it's fantastic and it all comes together very well and it has that this old photo aesthetic about it as well. Like, especially when it goes black and white. There are parts of the book that go black and white when they're watching um, a film broadcast or when they... Uh, I wouldn't say broadcast, actually. Actually, <laughs> yes, broadcast, because there was a, a, a thing with Namor on television. Yeah, mm. broadcast. Television existed then, right? I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure, but there is definitely <laughs> a scene where they, um, they're they screening a you know news yeah. in, a theater, in a movie theatre. Yeah, screening news in a movie theatre, I remember that. And um, I think there was a, a thing where Namor is on television as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I um, I quite enjoyed when it goes black and white because with the uh, with it being inside a, a a border as well, with the gutters around it, it being in a panel in a comic book, it looks like a photograph, mm. and it's great. Um, and it's just it's just the the a really good way to to reread to read this like even if you've never read marvels before this is probably going to be the best way to read it because of the way it explains it i'm not going to go into the easter eggs and everything else i'm trying not to tell you too much because there's a lot there's lots of little hidden things in there to find certain characters crop up and things like that and it's just really nice to see them at their beginnings uh, i think i've already mentioned so i can just mention it j jonah jameson's in there as a young scrappy reporter kid before he uh he has dreams about taking over the bugle though damn it he's gonna do it but and he's yeah, still he's a bit of a knob even back then <laughs> yeah exactly yeah with his like shifty patronizing eyes <laughs> yes yes yeah but yeah it, it's that kind of stuff and it's uh it's great for that and i really enjoyed it and i will be getting the rest of it because i don't have marvels i i never read it originally I, i've never bought a collected edition of it and i feel like this is going to be the best way to own it now with all the annotations and the original scripts in the back and everything else so yeah bring it on so it's a very nice very nicely published thing this it's a very nice comic to have it's very like it's just quite it's quite thick it's got like this nice thick stock cardboard cover Mm. it's just really cool yeah i made the mistake because i i bought it digitally um and i didn't realize how long it was when i started reading it so i was like let me read it a couple of hours before we start recording and then didn't have enough time to finish it off but so my point of view for this was again i i didn't even know it existed mm. um i gather there's going to be four in total is that yes. correct yes yes so i think i'm on board with reading all of these for the same reasons that i'm on board with reading uh grand designs because i want mm. to know all this context and i'm quite taken yeah. with the story that it's it's telling about this um photo journalist but i have to admit when i first skimmed through it I'm not particularly taken with this art style, like in in my gut. I think once I started getting into it, I really started enjoying its sense of place and like how expressive it is in selling the time. 
like not just the time aesthetically because it's it sells this um i don't know like syrupy filmic like really um what's the word like heavily heightened sense of the 1940s you know before america joined the war effectively um and it it's really good at selling that but also i don't know everything about it tonally the the, the you know the language that everybody uses the um the clothing everybody wears it all feels really authentic and the more i read the more i got into that and i started seeing it as more of like a period piece movie in some ways but i have to say i don't think i would have given it as much time if it didn't have this amazing introduction which i realized afterwards is actually marvel's uh, issue number 0 so the stuff that that didn't work for me if basically if they had given it as marvel's number 1 on its own i don't think i would have like fallen into it but marvel's 0 is a really good prologue to this story because it is yeah. effectively telling you the like a very quick origin for this first um human torch in the context of like mary shelley's frankenstein and there's just something really distressingly upsetting about how it sells his his birth and creation and you know hiding him away from humanity and then yeah second second birth as it were really really deftly really effectively in just like 10 pages or so and like the way that it's it's colored the way that it's um framed the way that there's something really like grand grandiose and contemplative yeah. about the way that the the, well, the lettering is placed over the art and how it's all hmm. arranged that left me feeling really uncomfortable and really yeah. upset and it's it's so good like mm. i i yeah i'm really glad that they put marvel's um issue number zero in front of issue number one in part of the same collection yeah i think it's and a really good merging had it um as 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 it's as as it's supposed to be instead of chronologically where one was straight mm. out, one one came after the other yeah 100 um, percent. like it was such yeah. a shame that it came out afterwards because i think it is yeah. It's. I think towards the end, because I was trying to read some of the annotation stuff, there is an excerpt by, I think, the writer. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Kurt Busiek, yeah, the, the, the writer. And he says, um, oh, look, another one of those zero issues. One of those things comic publishers put out to suck more money out of your pockets. What's in this one? A secret origin? A key story that won't be told in the regular series? A set of trading cards you've got to have to understand anything? Not this time. And, like, that's... it's. I know he's being like self-deprecating, but that's that's exactly what it is. Like, I feel like yeah. it's a really important piece of the puzzle. It is to to this issue, yeah, to this book, and I'm really glad they put it in in that and order. I love the way they've they've handled it because the way they've handled the Human Torch in those pages and how they've condensed down, like, because I mean, the original Human Torch was like first he, he first appeared in marvel comics number one which was published by timely comics in october 1939 so marvel comics was a thing that timely comics used to publish okay um and uh he was originally a, a like some kind of like monster like science fiction monster type thing like that kind of um he, he mm. was originally that kind of character and then later became a superhero, which is kind of the way this book goes. Like, people are right. scared of him. And then he learns that... He learns respect for life and everything else and becomes a hero. It's kind of how Namor starts out as well. Namor, though, goes off the rails a little bit a couple of times. But, you know, 
Hmm. I mean, as as hinted at by the Frankenstein reference right at the very start. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And uh, he is, uh, this is Jim, he's Jim Hammond, by the way. This is the the Human Torch, Jim Hammond. Uh, He was created in a lab. He's an android, Frankenstein. Um, (laughs) And uh, he was revived back um, in 61 with by Stan and Jack uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby and that's when they made Johnny Storm for the Fantastic Four so Johnny Storm wasn't the only human torch Hmm. (laughs) a lot of you probably already know that but yeah (laughs) I do (laughs) so yeah I'm glad to have this history lesson yeah um so yes uh that is marvel's number one and uh marvel's annotated number one i should say mm-hmm. and uh you can pick that up now because it will still be on shelves costs a bit more than an ordinary comic but it's worth mm. it because it's a nice thing to have it's nice and there's a lot of content in it yeah like we haven't gone over what the content is like it has the yeah. it has issue number zero it has issue number one and then immediately after it has the annotations where it goes through page by page um you know, giving ref- explanations of the references and maybe techniques behind some of the art styles, etc. And then after that, I-, I was surprised by this. I thought that would be it. There's then there's all the different cover art for mm-hmm. the, the the two issues in question, and then there's more art. There's more like um, head sketches and inside front cover sketches. There's uh, images of um, like acetate overlaid cover versions. Mm. There's um, opening titles. There's Covers of the 1993 editions of the the Marvel Age issue number 130 onwards that this was initially printed in, and then it goes on to have interviews with um, sorry introductions and then also interviews with like various part of the creative team. It's it's mm. a really giving book. Oh, and then on the top script. of that, it has <laughs> the script. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is really nice. It's really cool. Mm. I like it. And, oh, and uh, then then an introduction by Stan Lee as well yeah. at the very end. <laughs> yeah. And while I'm reading it, I can fully hear jazz and swing. <laughs> you know, like that. That I can just hear that as I'm reading it. Like I'm sitting in this dude's office, and he's like telling me the story, or whatever, <laughs> through through cigarette smoke. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a great thing. Marvel's annotated number one. Uh, I would say go and pick that up. If you if you haven't already got Marvels as a collected edition, go and pick that up. I mean, even if you have and you want the extras, it's nice. But mm. I mean, this is I would say if you've not already read Marvels, just read it like this because you'll probably you'll probably enjoy it more. I think with all the extra bits on the end. Um, and uh, moving on from there, Ray, you read something that I didn't read. Yeah, I read something called the Avant Guards. Uh, I'm not going to speak too much about this because it's very similar in some ways to stuff I've mentioned in the past. So it's a a boombox comic, um, and like I think if you if you read boombox comics, stuff like um, you know like Giant Days or I'm trying to think of what else like Lumberjanes. Uh, was fences. that one? That one that you said about dodgeball was that boombox? Yeah, that's what I was going to get yeah. onto. I think that's a boombox one, so Dodge City. So that's yeah. the first of the two um, like sports manga comics that I've been reading. This is the second. It's not so much manga-y, it's more just... Uh, a sp- it's, so it's basically a, uh, a boombox comic set around 
uh, basketball, women's basketball in a uh, in a women's art school. So let me read the the blurb from the actual comic. Give me one second to find that. So <laughs> the title that caught my attention was called Art School Alley-Oop, <laughs> The Avant-Gods by uh, Carly Austin, Noah Hayes, Rebecca Nolte, and Ed Dukeshire. It says, Welcome to the George O'Keefe School of Arts and Subtle Dramatics, a historically all-female school whose population is decidedly more drama geek than jock. Liv, aspiring actor and basketball enthusiast, doesn't understand why she can't be both, but she seems alone in that belief until Charlie, a recent transfer, a star basketball player, and the answer to all of Liv's problems. She'll stop at nothing to get Charlie to join the ragtag group of misfits that make up their fledgling basketball team. And um, what I like about this, in contrast to Dodge City, like Dodge City was very vibrant, it had a really fun, diverse cast, it was all very colourful and kinetic and everything. Avant-Garde's is a lot more um, slower paced. I feel like it's... Yeah. Um, it's taking a step back, like the... Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't show you the entire cast that's on the front cover of this book immediately. It basically focuses on two of the characters, Liv and Charlie, and their initial introduction and like Liv's uh, sorry Charlie's hesitance to getting involved with anything at this uh, university that she's been transferred to, um, and how Liv sort of um, through her enthusiasm and just her personality and sheer persistence gets charlie involved in not just the basketball aspect but just socializing at university in general and um yeah it's a really sweet story and i think i'm going to keep up to this it's a very nice light colorful read and and if you like that kind of stuff like um like i've already mentioned lumberjanes or uh dodge city or even the the other one that i loved before which is a boombox comic which was mecca Day you that same style vibrancy and like lightness of tone then I would recommend this. So that's the avant-garde. I, I feel like the cosmos is trying to spoon-feed me basketball <laughs> because you're talking about basketball comics that I kind of want to read. Hmm. Last night, Sophie put Coach Carter on and I watched that. Oh, nice. And Hassan Minaj makes basketball um, references all the time in his Netflix show and I have to Google things to find out what he means <laughs> or who not... he's talking about. Not to mention that me and Leon have, like, this is the first regular season of basketball that we've ever watched from start to finish so far. Yeah. So... And we've been talking to you about that in the background as well. I mean, that's part of the reason I wanted to read this, because I've my recent, yeah. um, like, foray into watching basketball a lot more regularly than I ever have before is is influenced this. Basketballception, man. Basketball's great. It's, so, it's a really <laughs> fun sport to watch. Yeah. It's so much, like, it's a really entertaining watch, like... No, nobody shoot me for this but like i think football's quite boring for 90 minutes there's not much happens basketball there is stuff constantly happening and i love like how how much back and forth there is i like i like the celebrity of it all i like you know i like the the personal drama a lot more than i ever have with say football or rugby i'm just super taken with it i love the fashion behind basketball mm. i love like checking out people's trainers and things cool i keep telling myself i'm gonna watch hockey but i never ever get around to doing it you should. I've got so, a guy at work who is well into hockey, like watching yeah. both um, the American stuff and also the UK leagues. So if you yeah. want me to ask him how you can get into that, I'll, I'll give him a shout. Yeah, if you can get me some pointers on where to start, that'd be great. <laughs> um, but I've always had a kind of like an interest in the idea of ice hockey. So, mm. yeah, I do want to start watching it. Um, when, I, I found out Nottingham had an ice hockey team yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, saw... there's a couple of leagues in yeah. the UK. 
I'm sure there's at least one big league in the UK, and yeah. they like you can get season tickets for like uh, UK ice hockey mm. for quite cheap. The like here because it's not so huge. Um, I'm, like how hard would it be for you to go to Nottingham every weekend and check them out? Like you exactly, can, yeah. you can become a fan. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of ice hockey, um, as a man who um, spent most of his career in hockey shirts, and that's Kevin Smith. Um, and that smooth segue <laughs> I like it he has written a new comic he has uh, so I've talked before about this um, this this revival of Hit Girl and Kick-Ass that's going on through Image Comics um, mm-hmm. it's back and uh, they're publishing new stories with new characters well the ki- Kick-Ass is, is a new Kick-Ass it's not not the Kick-Ass you're used to and it's great and uh, it's been really good so far. And uh, Hit Girl is uh, a continuing thing as well. And what they're doing with Hit Girl is they're they're doing like self-contained arcs where she visits different parts of the world and dispenses justice the Hit Girl way. Um, and in this one now is it's um Hit Girl in Hollywood. Um, so it's it, it the official title is Hit Girl Season Two Number One. But it's it's basically Hit Girl in Hollywood number one. And it's like her next stop on her world tour of blood, guts and justice. <laughs> um, and this one's written by Kevin Smith. And now I've read Kevin Smith's previous comic stuff. Um, I liked Cacophony and I liked Guardian Devil. Uh, Cacophony was one of his Batman stories. He also did The Widening Gaia. Um, and Guardian Devil was his Daredevil. Um, and... Yeah, I'm needless to say I'm a bit of a fan of Kevin Smith's other work as well. Um I like his films More Rats and Clerks. Um I like the sense of humour he has in those films. Um they were they were things that as a teenager I I kinda latched on to. <laughs> so I really love those films. Um and uh I found out he was doing the Hit Girl comic that I'm reading, I got quite excited. And uh yeah, it is awesome. Um not to mention that the version I picked up as well has a Francesco Francavilla cover. So, <laughs> and I love that man's artwork, um, as anyone who's listened to this show probably knows. Um, and I love how, yeah, it, it just it's just a great, great comic. Um, so this one is completely silent up to the last page. There's no dialogue up to the final page, which is kind of cool. I quite like when stories can run and you can understand exactly what's going on on the strength of images alone it kind of speaks for the power of the medium of comics if you get where i'm coming from ray 100 percent. like you're speaking you're preaching to the choir here i yeah. love comics yeah. that can communicate um through like the movement of the panels like between panels and yeah. tell a story without re- needing to fall back on on words exactly yeah, i love that yeah. you've sold me on this book already yeah so i mean the story begins with hit girl foiling a school shooting in a library and killing both of the shooters before there are too many casualties or too much damage is done. And um, in the maelstrom, she finds a book about herself, a bestseller. And learning that her life is going to be adapted into a movie, she sets her sights on Hollywood because obviously she's not into that. Um, now, that's that's the premise for issue one, and that's going to set up the next few issues that this story will continue through. Um, the art style is quite bouncy and cute and cartoony um, and it has like this Disney Saturday optimism about it which 
is like a direct contrast to the level of violence and i like that i I think it works very well and it's an incredibly inspired choice for this book because it's got it's like this um really kind of like unassuming not dangerous looking in the slightest you know and then all of a sudden heads are getting lopped and people are bleeding everywhere but they still look really unassuming and not dangerous in the slightest and it's great um it's a really good aesthetic for this book uh it works well for the idea of hit girl i think um because she's like the, the whole thing is like she's like this teenage girl in this like purple ensemble like looks like she's playing at being a superhero but actually she's like a potty mouth and super well trained (laughs) um i'm going to be following this one as i have the others and um there's kevin smith's sense of humor running through it as well which being a fan of clerks and more rats i kind of like um the comic is fairly cinematic in pace and flow so it feels like a fleshed out storyboard more so than most comics do uh, in the way that it doesn't do what what we've talked about in previous conversations on this show. You know when I've mentioned that comics can show concurrent events in ways that films can't? And I've talked about comics that do this very well. I think the most recent one that I mentioned that does something really cool with that is um, Shredder in Hell. Uh, well, this isn't doing that so much but it's still great because of the flow and the art style you can imagine it as an animated piece which works really well for me and i think that's why i don't mind the way it runs um and i would recommend this to you ray i think you should pick this up i know that sort of historically kick-ass and hit girl aren't, aren't your thing ray but um i kind of think you should read this and uh have i sold this to you yeah i think so because like okay so i'll list off the reasons why because the biggest of all of them is that you um you said how this entire issue is almost silent up until the end that is already piquing my interest because i love comics that do that as i said earlier yeah um the fact that it's kevin smith i think i i didn't grow up with him as a teenager the way that you did but i have like listen to listen i've watched a lot of his films in retrospect and like stuff like clerks and clerks 2 i really enjoyed as like those stupid stoner flick kind of things i don't really like his other ones as much i think but more rats is really cool um yeah definitely clerks 2 there's something about that film that just really resonated with me at the time Mm. that it came out um but yeah i do like his sense of humor i like him personality generally especially the way he talks about things these days and like how how much of a family man he is and you know things like that despite his appearances on the big bang theory but i won't hold that against him yeah, yeah i'm i'm keen to see what his writing is like because i don't think i've ever read a comic by him yeah um, or you know a comic with his writing so yeah i'd give it a go well did you say it was an issue number one right it's it's an issue number one yeah because these these hit girl things are all self-contained so they have like four mm. issues of hit girl in columbia four issues of hit girl in rome whatever like different mm. parts of the world each time so you can just dive in you don't have to know anything okay yeah i'll give it a go yeah sure um the uh i'll give you some good places to start for kevin smith comics like the ones the two i mentioned at the start of this mm. guardian devil which is his daredevil run and batman cacophony which is really good okay yeah i'll give them a look yeah give those two a go um and yeah it's just it's 
I thought this comic was great anyway, because um, I'm enjoy- I'm loving this Hit Girl series and I'm loving where it's going. And I like this whole idea that they're doing like the thing where someone like a new creative team picks it up each time. Um, mm. And like when one finishes, another one jumps in. And I quite like that. It's like that whole thing where someone writes a story and then <laughs> passes it on to somebody else and gets them to write the next paragraph. Yeah, like Mad Libs. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, so the list of credits here, we've got writer, Kevin Smith, artist, um, Pernil Orum, Orum, um, I'm sorry about that if I've said your name wrong, (laughs) I apologise, Sonny Go is a colourist, uh, Clem Robbins, letters, and cover artists, uh, Francesco Francavilla, Amanda Connor with, or Amanda Connor with Paul Mounts. So you've got Francesco Francavilla did the main cover and uh, I think Amanda Connor and Paul Mounts did the um did an alt cover for it but um yeah it's uh, it's something to behold and the cover's really nice because it does this thing where it has like the hit girl logo and then it says in underneath and then because she's standing on the Hollywood hill with the Hollywood logo in the background like you know the sign hmm. it kind of all blends so the logo kind of blends into the into the image and she's like, kind of like marching down the hill, looking a little bit angry, like flecks of blood everywhere. Posters which say "Heretofore Hit Girl Coming Soon," and uh, which is the name of the book, "Heretofore Hit Girl," and that's what's being adapted into a movie. Um, it's just, it's just great. I, I'm, I, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's. Hit Girl Season 2, number one, or Hit Girl in Hollywood, number one, I think is the better title. But yeah, there we go. Um, One more to talk about, and that is the last one that I read, which is another book about our um, our favourite bronze sword swinging Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> and this one's called Savage Sword of Conan. And this is like the second of three Conan books that we're going to see with the revival of Conan at Marvel Comics. So we've got the first one already, which I talked about, which is Conan the Barbarian. This one is the Savage Sword of Conan. And there's going to be a third one, which is Age of Conan. Um, which is coming... Uh, 13th of March and that is something to look forward to for sure and I will I'll tell you more about that in a minute at the end of this when I finish talking about Savage Sword of Conan so um, this is either number one or number 236 depending on your history with Conan the Barbarian (laughs) so uh, it's number one um, for Savage Sword of Conan as it's like this is like the, the comic series is back up again. So it's number one, you can jump in and you can start reading here. Or if you've read Savage Sword of Conan previously, it's number 236. And uh, much like the other Conan book I talked about, um, it, it's to do with the relaunch of Conan Barbarian. And this is the second one to return to the shelves. Um, and uh, straight in on the artwork, because to tie this back to Marvel's, it's got a nicely painted Alex Ross cover which I really like and works really well for what it's trying to be for the fact that it's these sword and sorcery stories. And, you know, like this, this sword and sorcery artwork um, that I've talked Mm -hmm. about previously when I've talked about Conan the Barbarian, how it works. 
Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a just a great cover of Conan swinging an axe, smashing up some skeletons. Um, yeah, it works for me. I like it. Being all savage and stuff. Um, now this issue like really was savage. Um, and I'll come to that again in a moment. Uh, so nicely painted Electro's cover. The book also contains the first part of a new Conan prose story that will be serialized in coming issues, much the same as, um, the other Conan book I've talked about. Uh, this has got another like short prose story that's going to be serialized in the back. We get three, the first three pages of it, which is kind of cool. I quite like that. Um, the art, is heavy with a lot of dark lines and a lot of highly contrasting light and shadow. Um, the interiors, it feels very heavy and violent and visceral, which works really well for the book and really well for the content. So w- this opens with Conan shipwrecked, lost at sea, and he gets picked up um, by some slavers. And he's thrown in the brig, half dead, and there's a dude down there who helps him, keeps him alive. Um the guy strikes a deal, the guy down in the brig is another another guy who's been uh, captured to be sold as a slave and he strikes a deal with the um, the captain and the crew that they will let him join the pirate crew if he is able to keep Conan alive to be sold when they get to shore. Um, so he was able to heal Conan and keep him going and um, that's where it all kicks off because when Conan wakes up, he ain't happy. <laughs> that's 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 the easiest way to put it. He ain't happy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it feels heavy and violent and visceral, uh, like the content of the story, and it draws you in to this savage world of pirates and barbarians, uh, barbarians who can free themselves, uh, free the chains they're in from the deck of a boat using a splintered finger bone that they splintered. Yeah. It's that it get it goes it's that that kind of book. Um it's beautifully coloured and altogether has this painted impressionistic quality that lends itself well to the communication of action and violence because it just feels so heavy and visceral with these like dark lines and how kind of like um how many dark lines there are and how, how impressionistic it all is in the way it's put on the page. It's just it just works so well for what it's doing. And the play of light and shadow as well, with the the way light filters through from different sources below the boat, below the deck of the boat, and um, the way the light will filter through slats of wood and different light sources in different parts of the comic, like lanterns and fire and things like that. And it just it just comes together really nicely. And it's like you're sat round a campfire, and these are the images that are playing in your head while someone is telling you the story of this, like. He something more than a man, you know, like a like a, a superhero. And I guess in medieval times, these are the kind of people that were revered. Hmm. These kind of stories that got told, these people that were larger than life, maybe not with powers, but with cunning or with, you know, uh, strength or with something else like they, they would people would weave tales about people swinging axes on battlefields and taking down 100 people when they probably only killed two. <laughs> things like that you know it's that that kind of extrapolation and whatever else and this is this is kind of like how it feels reading this book that you're sat around a campfire being told one of these tall tales about this this beast of a man 
who was captured by slavers and freed himself and everything else. And it's great. Um, and there's some really great moments in here. Uh, there's some, some really cool layouts used. There's a, a really nice double page spread where it's like a nine panel grid layout on both pages. Uh, and then the end finishes with like the three panels merged when Conan wakes up. But this is like the point where he's being nursed back to health on the boat. Um, and he's recovering from sickness and fever after being shipwrecked and left in the ocean. And I love how it's laid out in alternating panels. So it goes in brief snippets of Conan being tended to below deck and then a pure black panel with um, text on it, with narration on it. And the images and the words work together to weave and immerse you in a feeling of dipping in and out of consciousness which is really cool because you get like a snippet of Conan with like a, a, a wet rag on his head, then it'll go black again. Then you get another snippet of him being fed some water and then it'll go black again. And it's just like he's dipping, he's dipping in and out of consciousness is what you're being told. But you're also experiencing that with the panels alternating between image, black, image, black, image, black, which um, I quite liked. I thought that was a rather cool way to communicate that. And uh, the book is a cool revival of a series and serves as a great accompaniment to the other Conan book, uh, which was Conan the Barbarian. And um, there is a third Conan book on the way, as I mentioned at the start of this, which will be on shelves on March the 13th. And that is going to be Age of Conan, which I will read you a little blurb about now. So um, Age of Conan, Bellic, Queen of the Black Coast, which uh, there's going to be five of these. So... The she-devil of the sea, who would be Queen Bailit. The name alone conjures fear up and down the coast of the Hyborian Age. And the sight of her ship, the Tigress, is an omen of despair for any town in the Pirate Queen's path. The Age of Conan kicks off with one of Conan's most formidable and memorable female compatriots. In an all-new story revealing how she became the undisputed Queen of the Black Coast. The teenage Bailit, obsessed with the sea, as well as the monsters and treasures she thinks are summoning her there, stows away on the ship of, a dre- of the dread Admiral Athrasus um, into a deadly adventure even she could not predict, plus the final chapter in an all-new Bailit prose novella presented here for the first time. Oh, first chapter, not final chapter, sorry. Why would it be the final chapter? It's been presented there for the first time. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> so... Um, more Conan to look forward to and more sword and sorcery to look forward to. Um, I really do like me a bit of sword and sorcery and, uh, there's no point in me telling you to read this, Ray, because I don't think you have the same kind of, you're, you're not as enamored with this kind of like aesthetic as I am, are you? <laughs> no, I guess not. Um, and it's, it's always nice to hear how passionate you are about it. Cause it's something that just never really leaps off the page for me. Yeah. Um, cause it's that thing of, I don't know, Western, D&D fantasy archetypes. Maybe it's not even the archetypes. I think it is literally just the, the art style, that aesthetic of, like, you know, rippling oiled muscles and giant broadswords and stuff. Like, I don't know. It doesn't really take any boxes for me. But, like, so what is it about Conan in general that goes beyond just the aesthetic and just beyond the, um like, you know, the, the warrior, like, the you know, the, the peak performance warrior uh, who can you know, kill anything through sheer force of will. <laughs> are there are there stories embedded in that beyond just the beyond just the muscly dude thing? Yeah, the, it goes beyond tales of his prowess. 
because I mean, a lot of it is just it's 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 all framed in tales of Conan's prowess because mm. the way they tell Conan stories from my from my my experience anyway. I've I've can't say that I've read masses and masses of Conan. I mean, I've read the comics, obviously, like some of the comics, but that's it. Um, and I've read some of the pro- I've read a couple of prose tales, but I'm not, you know, the the way they kind of go. It's like um, if you know, like when you hear when you, I don't know how to how to describe this when you um, when you read myths or legends. Um, and you hear tales of great warriors outsmarting gods and things like that. Mm. It's it's tales of his prowess in in that way, in the fact that um, this man was as strong as ten oxes, and he was able to do this, and he freed a, a thousand villagers from a, a crumbled tunnel or something, that kind of thing. Mm. But it's also, and and you can imagine that back in the time in Medi, it like it, you know, like in. I know none of this is is ever going to be. It's not it's not actual history or anything like that. But back in medieval times, maybe there were similar stories knocking about that would have been passed down by word of mouth, that people would have mm. told around campfires about gods and witches and so forth, and like and, embellished with every single yeah, passing on of the story. Yeah, yeah, which is what I was trying to get across earlier when I was saying, you know, he probably only killed two people on the battlefield. But when you mm. sit at the campfire and listen to it as a ten year old kid someone's telling you that this guy took a hundred people down single-handedly that kind of thing and i just i've always been interested in in that in the the, why the why we need these types of stories like why do people enjoy hearing it and and what is it that you know people get out of it and also it's the same reason i like superhero stories i guess because these are basically like modern day myths and legends so when we're hearing about, when we read stories about Captain America or Batman or Superman or um, Ms. Marvel, we're kind of, these are what, in a thousand years time, the way I look at it is in a thousand years time, these are what people are going to be putting into collective books the same way we read Greek myths, right? Hmm. Okay. I think, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, I like the idea of, Renormalizing my expectation of what the story will be just based on the cover of this book and like reminding me that what kind of catharsis is this story supposed to give like again if you were listening yeah. if you were in the medieval days and you like you heard this story of prowess and this guy who can save you from your 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 dismal life or you know can can save you from these hardships or you know yeah the the evils and horrors of the world yeah, it's a good it's a good reminder that there are a reason behind a lot of these stories. And I think that's what I wanted to hear, to be honest. Like it yeah. isn't just schlocky, pulpy action adventure, which sometimes I have time for, but oh, maybe I, like, I do like schlocky pulpy action adventure, Ray. I, I do fan. as well. <laughs> no, don't, don't get me wrong, I do as well, but not with this particular yeah. art style. Yeah. But it's nice to be reminded that there is more to the story than just schlocky and pulpy action. Yeah. Which is I mean, I think the cover betrays that slightly, because all I see is like um shitty master system game cover you know what i mean (laughs) oh hey let's not let's not let's not do that all right let's not let's not go there because some of those games are amazing all right i was leading you in to yeah yeah, go on (laughs) that is not a a shitty master system game cover that is an alex ross comic cover (laughs) and it's beautiful no um but you're 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 gonna get me talking about golden axe now that's what i was trying to do yeah (laughs) 
because I used to love the Golden Axe games on the Mega Drive. Mm. Like, I loved the idea of like this this lone hero. the the whole The whole lone hero saving the world thing is a thing that I've always enjoyed, which is why I enjoy video games and stuff like one person mm. going out of their way when nobody else is standing up to stand up, take a stand, and take on everything by themselves. Mm. So with gold, well, with Golden Axe, there's three people, but you only get to play as one when you play it single player. So for all intents and purposes, you're one guy versus the horde. Um, and then like uh, even into science fiction stuff, like um, there was a game I had called Truxton. Uh, okay. There's an ace pilot, and this ace pilot, it's like a, it's a bullet hell game. But it was a game on the Mega Drive, and the story behind it was this ace pilot is the only the only person capable of halting the alien invasion or the alien attack on earth and right. because he's an ace pilot they can send him out by himself and he can deal with this on his own and it's like this guy is good enough to go against an entire planet of aliens you know that kind of thing <laughs> this is the whole idea of that it kind of it gives you it inspires you and it gives you hope in a way yeah like through through sheer force of will and yeah like... anything is possible right Mm. <laughs> you know yeah i can't I, you kind of sold me on it I and kinda... if you were you know yeah that's that's kind of what sells me on it and mm. i like the um i've always i've always liked the idea of the berserker anyway like the archetype right. of the berserker which is why mm. you know like if i play D D, I like playing barbarian characters that have a rage feature where they can get really angry and when they get angry they take less damage because they can't feel it and things like that mm. you know like I've been, I've always been fascinated by the idea of the berserker. That doesn't um, surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that and and that comes from being a metal fan as well. It all goes hand right. in hand. You know, it's just, it's one of those mm. downward spirals that's just I've been following since age ten. But I, at the same time, like I get that. it. I think it's just the difference in taste as well, because that's the kind, yeah. that's the archetype that doesn't normally work for me. But I do have yeah. other D and D archetypes that do like appeal more. Yeah, and I think. I think it's just going to be one of those. I'll I'll definitely give it a try, but I think this is going to be mostly on you to talk about Conan. Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah, this is this is my thing, um, mm. and I like I like my sword and sorcery stuff anyway. I mean, when I feel like when sword and sorcery films are bad, they're funny. Yeah, and when <laughs> they're good, they're actually really enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, so. And also, I mean, there's there's the other side of it because this is like the very kind of like action hero side of it. But then there's other sword and sorcery films as well, like um, Lord of the Rings is sword and sorcery. It's high fantasy sword and sorcery, mm. I guess. Could call it sword and sorcery, couldn't you? Yeah, I think that's one of the few sort of yeah. um, I think things people... that bled into the mainstream mm. that really worked for like a, a different range of audiences. Yeah, and I, I certainly certainly worked for me. Yeah. So. I think people differentiate it by saying that it's high fantasy. It's not sword and sorcery in the sense that it's hair metal sword and sorcery, which is what we usually like the hair metal aesthetic of, you know, like like metal album covers, like polished bronze muscles and swords and mm. bikinis and things, which is what we usually associate with that kind of thing. Whereas um, that's how do people differentiate between high fantasy and sword and sorcery. But I, I think you could, because it's got swords and it's got sorcery so why can't you say it's sword and sorcery it's just two different two different ends of the same scale i think as far as i'm concerned mm. but yeah um it's yeah i'm looking forward to the other conan title as well because it's you know it's like 
my dose of that metal aesthetic. I quite like it. So yeah, bring me more. Bring me more. So I slam my goblet on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and that brings us to the end of the comics. Um, I should read you a full list of credits for Savage Sword of Conan. So for this one, uh, we have writing by Jerry Duggan. Uh, Ron Garney is the interior artist. Uh, Richard Eisenhoff is the colorist. Uh, VC's Travis Lanham is the letterer. And Alex Ross uh, is the cover artist. Um, we've got other covers by Kevin Eastman, which I'm a little bit annoyed that I didn't manage to get the Eastman one. Um, Kevin Eastman being the TMNT guy. And he did this like amazing cover for this, which was all like black and white. Uh, well, it wasn't black and white, it was coloured in the end, but it was, I seen the black and white version of it and it was all like uh, black lines and, you know, crumbling bits of detritus. And it just looks cool when he draws this stuff, when it's Conan smashing skeletons again, like everyone, it's just, but it's just, yeah, it's Kevin Eastman. Um, Tommy Varga, Ron Garney, uh, and uh, we've got uh, Tommy Varga did a cover, uh, uh, Kevin Eastman and Tommy Varga, sorry, Tommy Varga probably coloured it, Eastman did the lines. Ron Garney and Richard Eisenhove did a cover, and George Perez and Jason Keith, um, Jason Keith and uh, Raza did a cover. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm, you know... I am stoked by this and I love me some Conan, so there we go. Some sword and sorcery. Uh, and um, I guess we should get on to the pull list. So I'm gonna we can talk, talk about what we're looking forward to over the next couple of weeks. So I'll open with February the 20th, which brings us two new books that I've kind of picked out. Um, one of them has a Netflix counterpart, believe it or not. Oh. Um, so we've got this thing called Sharky the Bounty Hunter. Um, and if I read you uh, what I found about Sharky the Bounty Hunter, um, it's a Miller World thing, and it's like um, Mark Miller and Netflix have been doing these collabs. So this is something that's going to be, um, I think it's going to be on Netflix, and also it's this comic, so... You'll see instantly why this appealed to me in a minute. Set in a brilliant new sci-fi universe, Sharky is a blue-collar bounty hunter who tracks criminals across the galaxy in his converted rocket-powered ice cream truck. <laughs> Aided and abetted by his 10-year-old partner, he's out for the biggest bounty of his career. And it's Netflix's latest live-action project from Mark Miller as well, and it says read the comic before you see the movie. So, yeah, it's going to be a Netflix thing. Um, and there are other ones that are collaborations between Mark Miller and Netflix as well at the moment. Um, I forget entirely what they all are. Um, oh yeah, The Magic Order, and he did a thing called Prodigy as well. So, um, The Magic Order and Prodigy are both Miller World, Netflix things, and comics at the same time, which is kind of cool. Uh, the next one that I had on my list was called uh, High Level, which is a Vertigo book. Uh, hundreds of years after the world ended and human society was rebuilt from scratch, a self-interested smuggler is forced to traverse a new continent of danger and mystery to deliver a child messiah to High Level. 
a mythical city at the top of the world from which no one has ever returned. Don't miss the start of a new series from writer Rob Sheridan, co-creator of Nine Inch Nails' groundbreaking Year Zero alternate reality game. So, writer is Rob Sheridan, uh, letterer um, Romulo Ferraio Jr., uh, Francesco Martina is a variant cover artist on here. The actual artist for the book is Barnab- Barnaby Bagenda. And um, Gulame um, Hospital is a cover artist. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, and that's my Feb 20th. Ray, what have we got for you for Feb 20th? I've only got one. Um, and it might be a surprising pick. Uh, Hulk Vereens, number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing actually... because... I, I read, the, I read this. I read well. I read. I read about this, and I know where this is coming from. This is like that weapon hate shit, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the only reason I'm giving it credence is because it's written by Greg Pak, and he's got a history of writing good Hulk comics. He's. I like him from Mech Cadet U. I like that he wrote John Wick. So I'm. I'm yeah. giving it some. I'm giving it the time of day. But like the blurb is really interesting and the cover is really funny because yeah. it's at last it's Weapon H versus his predecessors Wolverine and the Hulk. Once the Weapon X program sought to recreate the world's two greatest hunters, they ended up with Weapon H, a man of adamantium claws and gamma juice blood. Now Wolverine and the Hulk are back in action and coming after the dangerous creation made in their name. And it's just like Weapon H hulking out in the corner and then like Hulk, Hulk and then. Wolverine about to like fly into him. It's it looks hilarious. I can't yeah. wait to just see if it's funny. I'll read it like while I'm at the comic book shop and then not pay for it possibly. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> can't say that on here. <laughs> well, everybody does it. It's fine. I'll buy something else to make up for it. But I'm gonna. I want to at least check it out. So it's Hulk Vereen's number one. Yeah. Uh, Greg Pak writing. Um, Ario Anindito uh, artist. Yeah. yeah I um. I kind of. I kind of want to read that. Um, I read about it and it just sounds insane. And I, I've read, I read about the Weapon H stuff when that started first doing the rounds. And it's like the Hulk with adamantium claws. And I'm like, is That's this 1995? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing until I saw the preview for this comic. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just, it, it just like instantly I was thinking about like, I don't know. The, the first thing that came into my head was uh, um, the uh, Amalgam Comics the notorious amalgam comics which was the uh the the combination of dc and marvel heroes mm. um and we had like these batman wolverine crossed together into one character and you had <laughs> the joker and Sabretooth crossed together into one character and cap-, cap i think it was captain america and superman became one character that sounds awful <laughs> oh oh my god it's it's a hole we're going to have to go down ray Okay. It is for this for this right. show because I want to I want to hear what you guys think about these things, but um, yeah, Amalgam Comics, uh, Leon, you've been signed up for that in your stead. <laughs> so um, when you listen to this, uh, your name is already down for it. I can't can't rub that out. It's in in it's indelible. But yeah, um, it's it, it. The first thing that came into my head when I first started hearing about Weapon H was Amalgam Comics. It was it just it just screamed that the idea of it but i mean i i guess i i when i'm laughing at it I, and when i'm saying I, i'm not saying that it's terrible i'm just 
just so ridiculous the idea of it for me i don't know why i don't know why that's more ridiculous than a man than a short man with metal bones and claws and a big guy who's green but you know <laughs> put them together <laughs> yeah yeah more ridiculous put them together yeah. that's a no-no you know <laughs> but yeah so yeah that that's your only one for feb 20th is it <laughs> Yeah, so how about how about your Feb 27th? Feb 27th, we've got Detective Comics 999. So we're one away from a thousand. Yeah, talk to me in a month, Greg, and then yeah. we can, <laughs> and then we'll shout about it. <laughs> no, 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 I got time for 999. Ice Cream Man number 10. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, uh, on Feb 27th. Um, did you, did you get the, uh, did you get uh, Hopscotch Melange Part One, number one, uh, number nine? I no, I'm not caught up, but I, it I will. It is a trip. Okay, so cool. yeah, I'll, um, I'll get that after this. Yeah, so Ice Cream Man number ten, Hopscotch Melange Part Two. Um, oh, okay. And it's in Spanish. The in entire book. Este... No, no, this just this. Uh, the blurb is in Spanish. And oh. este capítulo. <laughs> No existen las fronteras. El mundo está lleno de amor, pero el amor es peligroso. I don't know how good that sounds, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried. I'm sorry if I've completely butchered that. Um, but yeah, it's in Spanish. And um, according to this as well, Universal cable productions is adapting ice cream man for a tv series oh wow okay and uh max and adam reed will write the adaption and they'll be executive executive producers alongside um chris bender jake weiner and jake wagner of good fear films yeah i'm looking forward to this it'll be shopped to premium cable and streaming services Hmm. and uh yeah so um I will have to translate that Spanish. Well, let me let me give it a go. So, yeah. uh, in this chapter, non-existent life. There's no front. There's no borders. El mundo is the world. Mundo está lleno del amor. Love. The world is full of love, but love is dangerous. Ah, okay. I totally just got that from Google Translate. <laughs> sorry (laughs) but it was convincing right yeah yeah but yeah that is uh ice cream man number 10 um and our awful language skills (laughs) so there we go um and that that wraps up the pool list i've got some oh yeah you got some for the 27th as well yes sorry i'll uh, I'll run through them very quickly john wick number five if in fact that's actually accurate because i've been burned waiting for number four which didn't come out on every single month when i thought it was going to come out um but yeah hopefully john wick number five is out on feb 27th there's buffy the vampire slayer number two which we talked about issue number one Mm -hmm. um i possibly won't read this myself i'm going to wait for you and leon to read it but just letting you know that it's coming out yep um Captain Marvel, Braver and Mightier, number one, um, in time for the movie. Life is Strange, number four. And The Avant-Garde's, number two. Yes. All of those things. <laughs> all of those S- things. Yes, they all sound good. Uh, just to mention, when you mentioned John Wick, you re- reminded me that I saw a picture of Keanu Reeves earlier today holding a John Wick action figure. Oh, that's very cool. Imagine having <laughs> your own action figure. 
<laughs> it's just Keanu Reeves looking seriously at the camera with like Matrix posters and stuff in the background. He's holding a John Wick action figure into the camera. <laughs> and it's just like Keanu overload. But yeah. yeah Keanu's yeah. the best. I love him. He is good. And um, it's, it's probably time that I come out and mention my favourite film. is One of my favourite films is Point Break. But there we go. <laughs> no shame in that. It's yeah. a great film. <laughs> Uh, you talk if you talk to the right people, there's shame in it, apparently. But yeah, <laughs> talk to the wrong people, there's shame in it. <laughs> talk to the right people, and we'll be high fiving you. Yeah, Point Break's great. But uh, that will wrap us up for Ace Comicals uh, episode number fifty six. You can find us um, at www.acecomicals.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook uh, under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Instagram at ace comicals um you can find us pretty much everywhere really uh you can find us at apple Podcasts, overcast pocketcast spotify stitcher TuneIn, and castro to listen to us um send us your questions uh we want your silly scenarios to debate so send those to ace comicals at gmail.com uh also dm them us on the twitter um get involved with the conversation if you hear something that we're talking about that you've read and you want to you want to have your your say just just tweet at us and just tell us tell us what you thought because we we want to hear your thoughts as well um ray where can we find you yeah on twitter at monker so that's at m-o-o-n-k-e-h and you can find me on twitter under at bato that's b-a-t-t-o-u um and that has been ace comicals number 56 that's ace comicals over and out